Hello and welcome to episode 400 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and listeners, uh, maybe you see the title of this episode and are a little confused, a little bewildered, but don't worry, I'll explain things and things, and it might make it more confusing, actually. So uh, before that, let's introduce the rest of the panel. Joining me today are Zach Wilkerson. Hello. Wes Iliff. Hi, everybody. Lucas Green. Hello. And Alex Franicek. Hello. Alex, Lucas, Wes, Zach. Uh, the five of us are here to play a little game because, I mean, if the four of you know me, then you know I love podcasts with weird specific rules and games that we have to follow until, you know, until it's gone on way too long. Um, so for the multiples of 50 episodes, we always try to do something a little different. And today we are having a shark party which is a way of saying um, this is kind of like Shark Tank, but not really, and also avoiding copyrights as much as we possibly can. And, uh, y- you know, in, in all of the previous 50X episodes, we uh, try to come up with um, some games that would be, be a good future episode of Retro Encounter. Uh, I, I don't remember what one every given year, but for the um, um, Battle Royale episode, uh, Skies of Arcadia won that poll. Sweet in five one at some yeah, point. Sweet in five one. I think either two hundred or two fifty. That sounds about right. Anyway, we're gonna try and and whittle a list down to uh, a smaller list to do a poll. But to you know to get that list and to figure it out, we're gonna play a game. And that game began with me reaching out to twelve others from RPG fans, past and present, um, to to suggest games for us. Uh, none of the five of us have a game that we put forward for the, uh, for today. They're all previous um, and, and some current RPG fan staff. We're going to listen to all six of the pitches. I'm sorry, all 12 of the pitches. Like we're um, panelists on Shark Tank slash Dragon's Den slash Hane no Tora or Tigers of Money, the Japanese original. And when as these pitches happen, we're going to bid on them. Each of us has $100. Uh, I'm just going to make it dollars because I'll if I make up a currency or use Zenny or something, I'll definitely forget. And we can spend our $100 by investing in these different games. And then after we hear all the pitches and do some wheeling and dealing and, and mix around our investments a little bit, the, I'm not sure how many exactly, six or seven or eight games with the most total investment will be the ones on the poll. So okay, we didn't really play test this. I'm not sure if it's going to work, really. <laughs> but we're going to try. <laughs> So before we kick it off, do we have any questions or clarifications? No, I think I got it now. It's all surprisingly clear. Talk about games, invest in games. Yeah, make makes sense. I'm, I'm a little surprised that it seems to make sense to all five of us, but yeah, I'm going to roll with it while we have this positive energy. Um, I don't know if it says something about you or something about us that we get it that quickly, but... <laughs> Maybe we've all just been on a few too many podcasts. That, uh, that that we we make leaps in logic that others shouldn't. But anyway, I have these organized only by the uh, uh, the name of the uh, of the entrepreneur, as it were, um, alphabetically by first name. So uh, unsurprisingly, the very first pitch is from Alana Hagues. So let's hear Alana's pitch. 
Hello, Sharks. What game are you playing if it stars Cam Clark, Jennifer Hale, Kim, my guest, and Paul Eiding? If you said Metal Gear Solid, well, you're right, but add a Little Mermaid into the mix and somehow you get Grandia 2, a 2000 Dreamcast RPG and sequel to a beloved Sega Saturn and PS1 game full of the spirit of adventure. The thing is, Grandia 2 is very different from its predecessor, but it's also pretty different from Game Arts' other series, Lunar. It sits on the precipice of the next generation of RPGs and is beloved by many, but revisiting this 23-year-old game might reveal more cracks and more delights than you thought. We've already covered many other Dreamcast, PS2, and PS1 games, so a game that borders on multiple console generations on an overambitious system feels like a pretty perfect game for Retro in 2024. Grandia 2 shows the transition into more voice acting, it shows an extremely confident and amazing battle system that still holds up today, and yeah, it's edgier than its predecessor, but there's still something adventurous and exciting about it, even if it's a lot more bratty about it. Grandia 2 looks at lost love, and how not everything is not as simple as black and white or light and dark. It's brash, clumsy, and there's way too much casual sexism, and sometimes it's really stupid. But god, it's fun. Those strengths and weaknesses deserve to be shouted about, particularly post-examination of Lunar the Silver Star. Thank you for listening to me ramble on, and come on, you must have expected me to pick a Dreamcast RPG for this. So, Alana's pitch is for Grandia 2. Uh, we did a some podcast episodes on Grandia the first some years ago. Uh, Zach, I think you were on those. Um, and Grandia 2 is the Dreamcast and later PS2 follow-up to Grandia 1. There was a Grandia collection a few years ago, so it's a it's an easy game to get a hold of. Shouldn't be an issue for anyone podcasting about it or listening to a podcast about it. Plus, um, I'll, I guess I'll um, put it out here now. Um, I have played Grandia 2. I played it several years ago, but it's really, really good. I, I don't think I would mind playing it again if it came uh, up for the podcast. Um, the battle system still holds up. The voice acting is corny, but um, but entertaining. Um, Alana mentioned the unusual voice cast. We we do have Jody Benson, Jennifer Hale, and Cam Clark all in the same game, which is which is wild. Uh, but you know, you don't have to bid now necessarily. But if if anyone's interested in Grandia too, you can we can start the bidding already. Each of us has a hundred dollars cash to spend. Uh, does, do we have any interest in Grandia too? Place your bids. Yeah, I think I'm a. I think I'm going to throw ten down on it. Uh, because I feel like I have to, because Alana, uh, you know, <laughs> I have to bid on a lot of this game. But also, like I, I enjoyed playing through the first Grandia. I think that uh, talking about sort of the the weird tonal elements of Grandia Two is interesting. I haven't played it since uh, I reviewed it uh, maybe five or six years ago, and my reaction to it was very different. Is like, huh, this is like kind of a weird game. When I was a kid, I was like, yeah, Ryudo. I love this guy. Uh, now I'm like, I feel sorry for this guy. Uh, so I, I love the battle system. I think it is uh, playable. Uh, it does a lot of uh, Church's Bad stuff that I think is really cool. Oh, yeah. This, uh, this is one of the signature yeah, Church's Bad JRPGs. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and I love me a Church's Bad JRPG. Right, up, right up there with Breath of Fire 2, Indeed. Final Fantasy Tactics. Yep. So I, I love all those games, and I love this game too. So I'll throw 10 down on it for now. We'll kind of see how it goes. That, that just makes me want to play it even more. This has been on my list for a while, and I didn't even know about the Church's Bad, uh, you know, JRPG where you kill God kind of vibe. So uh, I'll put 10 down as well to start with. I don't think it's too much of a spoiler that Church is Bad, but um, the prominence of the Church at the beginning of this game at least should plant some ideas in your head. And and, and Wes, I think um, I see something on our spreadsheet from you. 
Yeah, I've I've got to put ten down for Grandia too. I I haven't played it since I played it on the Dreamcast, at least not in any significant way. You know, I've popped on one or twice, but I think that this is a perfect game for like a modern evaluation of, um, because as as everything that's been said, like it can be a little bit clumsy. Its main character is uh, very much a teenager in more obvious ways than you sometimes get. Uh, even though I don't think he's a teenager necessarily, he he has that angst and that attitude. And uh, honestly, the battle system in Grandia games is just so incredibly cool. Um, having opportunities to talk about what makes it work so well is just exciting. Yeah, whenever I see a battle meter with interrupts and delays and stuff, I, I think of that as Grandia combat, even though it even though it, nece- it isn't necessarily that. Like even um, Cosmic Star Heroine, I was like, oh, they're they're using Grandia combat. Yeah, that was the the reason I keep hearing about this one as a recommendation is because whenever I bring up uh, Child of Light has oh, yeah. a very similar combat system and I keep being told, oh, yeah, no, that's from like Grandia 2 and it but Grandia does it better. And that's always been really intriguing to me. Child of Light, Cosmic Star, Hero- Heroine and Grandia 1, all previous retro encounter games. Uh, so, Alex, you're the one that hasn't weighed in on it yet. Yeah, I've never gotten super into Game Arts' stuff, uh, but Grandia is just the series I haven't really tried at all. Um, and I'm kind of intrigued by uh, kind of like the more gray kind of tone that Alana describes here, because I think like a lot of the the stuff that has made me uh, keep me away from getting super into Game Arts is kind of like a more kind of like vanilla Saturday morning cartoon vibe that I just, that, that isn't for me personally, but... The battle system looks great in these games, uh, and I'm, I'm interested in kind of like the, the weird tone this one's going for. So I'm going to put a little, uh, just a little fiver on this one for now. All right. And again, none of these investments are total commitments. If you decide that there's something else you want to focus on more, you can take your money off of Grandia 2 and put it on something else. Uh, but, but with that said, I'm not going to bid on Grandia 2, at least at this time, um, only because I think there's probably five maybe maybe even six games on this list that i'm more interested in playing uh and and a lot of that is because i i just don't want to replay as many games nowadays <laughs> and and re and go and uh firing up the ps2 and being worried if my old disc works and everything and may, and maybe resorting to buying the new collection um say it's on switch and steam I, I i know but still <laughs> i'm starting to spend less money on games as i get older <laughs> not fair. more um i have cats to feed now but <laughs> but the uh but you know grandia 2 is great N- not a slight against that or alana but i'm not bidding at this time um so i think that's uh grandia 2 round one done now our second game is from uh rhythm encounter co-founder and former random encounter host Derek heemsbergen let's see what Derek is bringing to the table Hello, Sharks. Derek Hamesbergen here, former host of Random Encounter and Rhythm Encounter. You've played so many games since the dawn of Retro Encounter. So many worlds cracked open, their contents drunk deep. But not all drafts nourish. Some sit bitter on the palate. And when games cease to delight and feel like work, where must one turn? Away. I'm proposing you take a vacation, Sharks, to coastal Japan, circa 1975 to feel sun on your skin and salt on your tongue, to the unfettered idol of a childhood summer. And I've got your ticket right here, a newly minted fan translation of Japanese PS2 classic, Boku no Natsuyasumi 2. Treasure every day, sharks. 
Okay, so that was Boku no Natsuyami 2, I'm sorry, Boku no Natsuyasumi 2, or My Summer Vacation 2, um, as presented by Derek Heemsbergen. And I must confess, uh, panel, that uh, this was the one on the list that I had not heard of prior. I was, I was vaguely familiar of, the, um, of a Japanese summer vacation RPG. So when I heard this pitch from Derek, uh, it, it did sort of ring a bell that I thought I had maybe heard of these, but I didn't really have any functional knowledge. Um, these are adventure games where a young boy goes on summer vacation to a relative's house, and basically uh, who you spend time with, how you choose to spend your day, uh, affects the game's ending and uh, the events that take place. But it's very no uh, low stakes, and for the most part, intended to be a relaxing summer vacation of a game in in more than just name. And uh, there's four of these games, uh, plus a fifth called Natsumon. That's sort of an unofficial uh, sequel, but by the by the original creator of Boku no Natsuyasumi. And um, and like Derek mentioned in the pitch, there was a very recent um, completed fan translation of Boku no Natsuyasumi too, making it um, as available in English as it has ever been. And uh, because of the sheer poetry of Derek's words, because um, listeners, I'm sorry to, to tell you that maybe this episode peaks early because Derek's pitch was really beautifully written. Um, uh, because of the beauty of Derek's words and because of my genuine interest in the game, I am going to throw $10 at it for now, possibly to be increased later. And uh, whoa, Alex, looks like that you're trying to um outdo me a little bit here uh, uh <laughs> how about your interest in this game yeah i'm gonna throw a, a fat 30 on this one uh because i'm super super interested um i've basically been really intrigued by this series especially since uh tim rogers released that six hour long review of it which uh i was a big fan of uh he made the first game sound very interesting and basically at the end of the video he says that the second one is even better uh probably the best one in the series uh it looks beautiful uh with its kind of uh art style I, for I forget the artist who who worked on it but i believe um she is like pretty well known in like japanese advertising and her art style is really unique and, and charming and i just really uh am interested in playing this game ever since i saw that they were doing a fan translation of it i thought um yeah i'm gonna play that right when it came out uh, of course i haven't done that yet but now this would be a wonderful opportunity to do that so um, yeah, throwing 30 on this one. Uh, looking forward to playing it on Retro Encounter or otherwise. All right. And um, Alex, you and I are not the only people with early activity here. Uh, Wes, you also have a tenor on there. I do. I put $10 down. I, I know so little about this game. And I feel like Derek's pitch didn't teach me more about the game. But in 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 theme and in attitude and in artfulness, it made me a lot more interested in it. Um, and I've done a, a little bit of research about this game. Um, and the fact that it's the soothing kind of a game, a game with low stakes, it actually sounds really refreshing in a way that I don't often get. Excellent. So um, Lucas and Zach, neither of you have invested, or at least yet. Um, uh, give us your brief thoughts. I mean, I, I will admit that uh, Derek's pitch is beautiful. Uh, it's it's like poetry. Um, but, you know, when we describe things like chill, low stakes, summer vacation, like it doesn't really sound like the sort of game that I would probably love. Um, and while it's different from uh, a lot of things that we've done on Retro Encounter, um, I, I'm going to kind of sit on it for now. I might I might come back to it. But uh, right now I'm, I'm unconvinced that it's something that I really want to play. So, yeah, that was kind of where I was at. I. 
I really didn't get an idea of the what the game is or the gameplay from his pitch and from the pitch that we got. I wasn't super interested. Like, it sounds interesting, just not my kind of game. But honestly, hearing all of you talk about it has me a little bit more interested. I may come back to it, but uh, I think I'll hold off for now. It's like an artsy, more character and narrative-driven Animal Crossing, from from what I get. And now I want to play it less. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not a farming game person either, unless you unless uh you know running a farm in Like a Dragon Ishin or Monster Hunter Rise counts. So it, uh, it's not like farming and, and managementy at all. It's it's more more chilling than that. It's more like working in the garden with your uncle or going on a yes. walk with your cousin. You got and, it. And, and it being very unclear how the, either of those affect anything. Yes. Um, I'm also a little bit reminded of Personas 3, 4, and 5, not because of any tonal similarities, but because there is a schedule and a calendar that dictates where the game starts and ends in, uh, in Boku no Yatsu Yasumi. Yeah, that's that was... another fair comparison. That was literally what I was thinking as you were describing the working in your uncle and not knowing how it's going to play out. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm I'm the type of person who literally, like when I played Persona, I literally had to like map out and schedule out my entire playthrough to the point where that's probably why I don't, haven't gone back and replayed Persona. Um, <laughs> so I don't think I'm good at being chill. <laughs> I understand that to a degree, maybe to a less extreme degree, but I um, sometimes have a similar attitude with games that are mapped out in specific ways. But anyway, it looks like we are done um, for this phase of bidding on Boku no Natsu Yasumi 2. Uh, it's time for the third game in our list, and this one comes from um, former news editor and Retro Encounter panelist Eva Padilla. Let's see what Eva has to say. Hello, Sharks. Have you ever wanted Pokemon? But Nobunaga, I am bringing before you Pokemon Conquest, a 2012 tactical RPG that was a collaboration between Pokemon and Koei Tecmo. This game has a wonderful art style. It's full of personality and life, and you will have an absolutely wonderful time with it. Just, you might not want to do the full 100%, but it's a beautiful 20 to 30 hour experience that you will absolutely love. Thank you for your time and your consideration. Okay, so that was Pokemon Conquest, one of the more unexpected uh, strategy RPGs that I've ever heard of. I remember this uh, making a bit of a splash when it came out just because of the unique nature of it. Um, this is a strategy RPG by uh, Tecmo Koei, definitely more the Koei half than the Tecmo half, because uh, Koei does a lot of games based off of um, Sengoku era Japan and Romance of the Three Kingdoms China. They're the Dynasty Warriors and Samurai Warriors studio. Um, but this might be a little bit more similar to a game like uh, like the old 80s Romance of the Three Kingdoms or Kessen, because this is a straight-up strategy game and not a action-defeat-hordes-of-enemies uh, uh, kind of game. Um, and But it, it, uh, it, it takes those, uh, those historical settings and replaces the Warriors with Pokemon trainers. So it, it, basically a retelling of part of the... Uh, um, warring states slash uh sengoku era japan but with pokemon and that is kind of hilarious uh i i'm not gonna bid on it at this time um i i do have access to the game my girlfriend has a copy so it wouldn't be challenging for me to to play it but 
this is so odd. I want to take the temperature of the room first before committing to anything. But, uh, but before, I mean, as I say that, we already have two commitments on our spreadsheet here. Um, uh, Wes, let's talk about Pokemon Conquest a little. Yeah, I actually threw 20 down on this one, uh, and it'll probably go up because I feel very enthusiastic about Pokemon Conquest. I'm a longtime fan of uh, Koei Tecmo's Warring States period output um, in all its forms, and seeing like those character designs and those versions of those characters, and getting to find out who like Hideyoshi's partner Pokemon would be is just absolutely <laughs> delightful to me. Not to mention, it's just a really solid... Uh, tactical rpg i played some of it back when it came out but i never finished it because i was a kid with undiagnosed adhd and i would love to be able to go back to it and be able to actually enjoy all of it and uh lucas you were the other um big spender on this one yeah i put 20 down as well uh this pitch hits me right in my wheelhouse um i love pokemon i've been a little unimpressed with some of the you know mainline games recently so I've been playing a lot of fan games and looking at some of the spinoffs and I love tactical RPGs. So this is like, you know, this is, this is chocolate and peanut butter for me. Lucas, you and me are going to make this happen one way or another. I, oh, I think that, I think that that is uh, a strong possibility. <laughs> we, I, we already have a coalition forming and we're 25% through the pitches. Um, I, I, this is one that I could see myself playing, but I'm, I think there are just um, four or five others on the board I'm a little more interested in. Um, but uh, Al- Alex and Zach, uh, silence from both of you. I mean, I uh, it's, it's oftentimes difficult to convince me to play a strategy RPG. I've only played maybe a few. I like them, but like it's it's sometimes hard for me to get into them, and I've played zero minutes of Pokemon ever um, and uh, don't really have any desire to. So... For me, that's just really what it boils down to. Uh, I thought uh, Eva's pitch was delightful um, and very well spoken, uh, which is not surprising because it was her. But um, yeah, I, I it's it's just not for me. Yeah, I'm I'm interested quite a bit in just the general idea of these games. I, I've never played any of these uh, Koei Tecmo uh, historical feudal Japan type uh, strategy RPG games um, and. While I'm interested, I don't feel like the one that's about Pokemon is the one I'd want to start with. So I think I'm going to pass on this one, at least for now. All right. So again, we, we will probably revisit it later, but Pokemon Conquest has $40 of investment already. So let's look on to the next game, which comes from Hillary Andriff. And here's Hillary's pitch. Hello, Sharks. I'm extremely excited to pitch this particular game. First off, it's the only game in its series that hasn't had a game journal on Retro, so if it gets chosen, it'll be completing a set that's gone incomplete for quite a long time, years. Next, this selection's older, but offers an exciting action-adventure-style story and gameplay that's aged quite well. It has people that can transform into flowers, pig-led prison breaks, flautists, a main character that can shapeshift into three different forms over the course of the story, and sharks. Clearly, this game is a good choice because it features some non-enemy sharks during an ocean travel segment. So I hope you'll select it, and thank you for your time. All right, so that was Hillary's pitch, and I realize now that um, she neglected to mention that that pitch was for Illusion of Gaia, (laughs) the Super Nintendo action RPG. That's the second game in the Heaven and Earth trilogy. We've already done previous episodes on Retro Encounter for Soul Blazer and Terranigma. Terranigma was one of the first 
oh geez, I think one of the first five or six games we covered on Retro Encounter. Um, and uh, and um, this is a, a trilogy that I know uh, perhaps surprisingly well. I've played all three of them, but the only one I've actually finished is in fact Illusion of Gaia. Um, I I think I just rented uh, I just rented Soul Blazer. I have Illusion of Gaia, and then I emulated Terranigma many years later, but didn't finish. Um, Illusion of Gaia is good. It goes through um, a lot of real-world historical locations and turns them into RPG dungeons. Uh, it's tonally very unique. Um, there's a, it's a it's a surprisingly dark uh, story. Um, there, there's a, I think the plot's pretty exciting. It's cool that you can transform into a knight and then later some kind of fire ghost or whatever uh, whatever shadow is but um it's, it's a fun interesting game that i think is worth playing i'm just not sure i want to put 10 on it because i'm i'm i i am i'm slightly fearful of how well or poorly it's aged but we already have some bids on it from the rest of the panel uh alex let's talk about it yeah sure so i put 15 on this one because i'm pretty interested uh most of my exposure with illusion of gaia uh, came from watching my brother play it uh, when I was uh, just a little kid, uh, which was a lot of my video game exposure back then. Um, but I was just like, oh, this is like Final Fantasy, but it's really strange and there's real world locations in it. This is kind of cool. Um, so immediately it, it left an impression on me. I did eventually play Terranigma uh, years later, and it's one of my favorite Super Nintendo games of all time. Uh, so I really would be interested to go back to play Illusion of Gaia and see how it compares. Uh, just think Quintet is just a really fascinating developer in general. Uh, so I'd like to play all of their stuff. Uh, so yeah, um, pretty interested in this one, 15. And, uh, you know, maybe we're speaking from a North American perspective because this game is called Illusion of Time in Europe. And I and I think it probably has a, uh, a, a different Japanese name as well. But uh, yeah, yeah, Alex, you're not the only person blowing 15. Uh, Lucas, I see um, 15 from you on this one, too, on our spreadsheet. Yeah. Uh, Quintet is one of my favorite classic developers. I love all of their games. Even if this has technically, I think, at least partially been on a podcast already, because there was a Quintet, uh, Quintet Encounter episode. There um, was. That's been quite a while, and hearing this one talked about i mean i i've really enjoyed the other episodes uh about this series and would love to complete the set as it were all right and our third investor um early investor into illusion of gaia is zach uh what yeah. are your what are your feelings on this one i you know i i have played illusion of gaia i have beaten illusion of gaia and my memory of it was that it was weird and kind of hard. Um, and a, cu a couple bosses are a little bit wall-like, but I, but I again, I haven't yeah. attempted this game in over twenty years. So, and, and I think like the final boss is like a boss rush. I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've played it, uh, but it's one of those games that like every time I hear someone talk about it, hearing Hillary talk about it, I'm like, man, I wanna, I wanna go back to that. I wanna kind of, as an adult, I wanna kind of see what that feels like. Because the last time I played through it, I was probably like twelve. Um and so I just don't remember it very well, but I do remember it just being strange and just like I, I replayed it a few times and I never really knew why because <laughs> I just thought it was so odd. Um but I think that um just seeing some of that uh tonal um oddness would be interesting. Um and I remember thinking that it looks really cool um and just sort of enjoying the way you engage with the world. So not a big investment from me. Maybe I'll maybe I'll come back to it and give more, but uh I am interested in replaying it. 
Cool. Um, now, Wes, uh, you've been a little silent here. Uh, are there more uh, games on the list that interest you more than Illusion of Gaia? There are, and also I've I've tried to play Illusion of Gaia a number of times and bounced off of it pretty bad. Uh, just that style of game isn't necessarily my style of game. Kind of top down action RPGs with a little bit of almost Zelda flavor to them. It's just not my type of game, even though I am fascinated by Illusion of Gaia and always want to be able to like get into it and really play it because I hear all of these wonderful things about it and everything that everyone here has said um, that that Hillary said about it makes me want to play it, but not enough to invest. It's the only uh, Super Nintendo game I know of that has Russian roulette uh, games that you have to win in it, but... Uh, that's not enough for me and Wes to um, blow fake dollars on it now. But let's uh, talk about our next game to blow fake dollars on. It is from Jonathan Logan. So I don't, I don't know if you've been following RPG fan behind the stuff, behind the scenes stuff. Maybe you already know what Jono's pitch is, but let's hear it. Hello, Sharks. Uh, I am Jono Logan, and this is my pitch for Retro 400. Congratulations on 400 episodes. Uh, so my pitch is for the 2010 Nintendo DS JRPG Final Fantasy, The Four Heroes of Light. Four Heroes, I think, is an important JRPG for several reasons, the most obvious one being that it's a Final Fantasy spinoff that pays homage to Final Fantasies 3 and 5. It features a robust job system, turn-based combat, and a story that, while serviceable, isn't exactly groundbreaking. It's a throwback to another time, and specifically it's a time that just about everyone at Retro loves. But the other reason why I think Retro uh, should feature it is what came after it, Timasano. Asano and the rest of the team behind Four Heroes were planning a sequel that never materialized as a Final Fantasy game, but it did develop into the spiritual successor Bravely Default. Sort of Bravely Default Zero, really. If it wasn't for this game, we may not actually even have the Bravely series, Octopath Traveler, Triangle Strategy, or maybe even the entire concept of HD2D. I think that Four Heroes exemplifies everything that Retro Encounter stands for. It's a JRPG on a beloved older system, it's a retro throwback to classic 8-bit and 16-bit JRPGs, it's a Final Fantasy game, and it directly inspired the Bravely series and other titles that came after it. I think it's the perfect candidate, and I really hope that uh, Sharks will consider it for coverage in 2024. So that was Jono's pitch for Final Fantasy The Four Heroes of Light. And I guess I'll go first on this one. I'm going to spend some cash for the second time today. I'm throwing 10 on this one because I, uh, I, I, I attempted to play this game many years ago and got decently far, I think probably halfway through, and I was mostly enjoying myself, but a part of the game got grindy and I fell off of it. I, I'd, I'd have to start from the beginning um, if I were to do a, a sincere new attempt. But uh, I'm more intrigued by it than ever because this was Tomiya Asano's first big game um, with Square Enix as a uh, as a as sort of a a producer slash director, he he's been with um, with Square Enix since the early two thousands. But th- this is sort of his his big first high profile project uh, alongside the DS versions of Final Fantasy three and four. And because I love Octopath Traveler two so much and have enjoyed the Bravely games so much, I, I think I want to go back to sort of the the, the uh, patient zero of those two series. I think I would uh, play this to completion now. Uh, and I know that Jono has been pushing for this game for Retro Encounter for a few years now. So um, maybe we can make it Jono's dreams come true as well. You know, I, I doubt I'm going to keep this this five uh, here for, for the end of the show. But I'm going to throw it down for now just because uh, Jono's passion and his rhetoric arguing for this game's historical significance, especially now with how, how beloved Team Asano's games have become. Uh, was just so well spoken that 
Um, even though I had, I had zero interest in playing this game before I heard that, um, I'm just going to throw five in for now, just just in in respect to Jono. And uh, uh, Lucas, you're also throwing a tenor on this one like I am. Yeah, I I like the Timasano games a lot. This is my like the style of game that I really enjoy. And honestly, the idea of having a deadline for finishing that style of game means that I might actually finish it. I tend to grind more than I need to at the end of the game to try and like max everything out the way I want. And uh, I kind of bounced off this game originally just because it seemed like a, I mean, it's a spinoff rather than the main series games. And I, uh, I would really like to go back to it and give it its due uh, with the historical perspective we have now. And uh, Wes, um, you're joining the uh, the club that Lucas and I just founded of throwing ten dollars on this one. I am. I've I've played this game before, but once again, kid with undiagnosed ADHD never finished it. Um, I say kid loosely. I was probably older than is <laughs> comfortable around this time. Um, the there are a lot of things that interest me about it. I love Final Fantasy spinoffs because those little nods get like the serotonin going in my head. Um, and the fact that jobs are essentially hats in this one, like getting that little red mage hat, like instantly pings me like that little bit of joy. Um, but this historical um, importance set on it now intrigues me even more. Um, I love the idea of doing this with the context of what that team went on to do. I think I'd be way more invested in it and I'd like to see that progression. All right, and uh, Zach, it looks like you're the only person that's not investing this round. That's true. I'm sorry, Jono. Um, I, I agree that uh, Jono had a very impassioned uh, argument for it, but th the reality for me is that there are still so many Timasano games that I haven't played yet that I want to, like the second and sort of second uh, Bravely Default games. Uh, I have a lot more interested in interest in if it was a bravely default game, it'd be a more, lot more likely to do it uh, with the, the additional polish and sort of it being its own thing to some degree. Um, I, I have some interest in it, but I have more interest in things further down the list, uh, which is why I'm I'm holding my cash for now. Yeah, Zach, you and I are by by far the most spend thrifty of the group here. You oh, yeah. and I have each only spent twenty dollars, and <laughs> but but like you, I'm looking at some games in the second half of this list that uh, will have my uh, my cash reserves dwindle very fast. Indeed, <laughs> but uh, I think that's enough on Final Fantasy IV: Heroes of Light. Thank you, Jono. Um, the next comes from another managing editor of RPG Fan, Mike Salbato. Let's see what Mike's pitch is. Hello, Sharks. Dark Cloud 2 has been on the maybe pile for Retro Encounter for years, and I think it's time to make it happen. You can hit things with a sword or a huge wrench. You can travel through time, rebuild the world, invent things through assembling ideas based on a photography system, upgrade weapons and items, ride a mech, and why not play golf? Dark Cloud 2 has a ton of things you can do, but none are so in-depth that it's ever really daunting. Given Retro Encounter's track record of willing things into existence, I figure this is our best bet at making Dark Cloud 3 a reality. Well, thanks for your time uh, listening to my pitch, and congratulations on 400 episodes. Here's to 400 more. All right, so that was Mike Salbato on Dark Cloud 2. Uh, Dark Cloud 2, a pretty early level 5 game before they were co-developing um, 
uh, Dragon Quest games or making White Knight Chronicles. Uh, it's a game with a lot of sort of city building and uh, creativity elements in it, but and, and a, a pretty good dungeon crawling RPG outside of those theaters. Uh, and I, we, it's come up a couple times in the podcast because it's a favorite game of Tin Manuel and Steph Sabidlo and a few other people besides Mike Salvato. And uh, and Mike mentioned that sometimes we will things to existence in this show. Uh, a couple times we'll do an episode on something and then we'll get a sequel announcement or a remake announcement like in the following weeks or months. So maybe that's why Mike is uh, is bringing this on. He really wants a Dark Cloud 2 remake or a Dark Cloud 3. Um, and also this game is called Dark Chronicle uh, in Europe if, uh, in case a listener is more familiar with a different name. Um, I, I did try to play this many years ago on the PS2, but I bounced off of it because... I was a little overwhelmed by having to place buildings and, and elements on a very large city map for possibly multiple cities. Um, and, and, uh, and, you know, I was surrounded by good PS2 games, including a lot of our PS2 RPGs at the time. So I moved on quickly to something else, but uh, we do have one early early investor, uh, Zach, um, you put a five on dark cloud too. You know, I put five down on it. Uh, first of all, because I thought Mike uh, did a great job of selling this game. And, you know, the truth is that like, I think Dark Cloud 2 sounds like an excellent game, but it also sounds like a game that I probably wouldn't finish or be any good at. <laughs> uh, I'm not really good at building things. Uh, I get overwhelmed by things as you were talking about. Um, but it, it, it feels like of the kind of game that maybe isn't probably for me, it's the kind that I would like to at least try because its reputation sort of precedes it. Uh, a lot of people I respect like the game a lot. Um, and it it sounds like it's a very well done version of that, and I have some interest in it for that reason. But I'm not even 100 percent sure that if it won, that I would even be on the episode because I'm not convinced I would finish it. So that's kind of where I am. So I want to put a five down uh, out of respect for the fact that I think it it, it deserves some investment, but I, I I'm not sure. Oh boy, is Zach the only investor? Looks that way. I I love uh, Dark Cloud, and I love Level Five. Um, but Dark Cloud 2 has always hit that. Like Mike said, it, it never gets too overwhelming, the amount of stuff you can do. Um, and unfortunately, it doesn't work quite that same way for me. I do get pretty overwhelmed by it um, and end up having troubles really sticking with it because I feel like I'm being inefficient or I'm not doing all the things I need to do. I'm not taking advantage of this invention system um, because I don't like photography in games, you know. And, and I end up feeling very overwhelmed by it. It's the type of game I would absolutely adore watching someone else play. I, I, I'm trying to put myself in my shoes 20 years ago. I, I think I remember playing it and enjoying it. I, I liked the dungeon crawling more than the, the city building. But then I got to like the second location. And I'm like, wait a second. I'm gonna, am I going to have to build like five of these damn cities? And then, and then I, I fell off it pretty quickly after that. That's only a vague memory. Uh, but yeah, you know, I have a similar attitude to you, Wes, uh, Lucas and Alex, uh, a, a similar story, I'm guessing. Yeah, I've seen this game played. I've dabbled in it a little bit. There is so much to do in it. It's such a huge game. It seems like something that I would enjoy spending a lot of time with, but not something that I would be likely to finish. And it does seem like a very large investment of time for doing a podcast on and yeah there would be a deadline that could be a factor yeah yeah this was another game i watched uh my my brother play as a as a little child and it was a, a great viewing experience i thought it was a fascinating game 
uh, incredibly unique in terms of like how it merges those different gameplay styles we've been talking about. Uh, looks beautiful still. I think it's cell shaded. Art style has aged very well. But like you all said, uh, I also get a little bit overwhelmed with all these different kind of mechanics and um, it, it does seem like a bit of a time investment. So it's probably not one I'd personally sign up for. All right, so that was Dark Cloud 2. Uh, struggling a little bit in the rankings with only $5 of investment in it, but we'll see if that changes. Um, we are halfway through the list, but now it's time to move on to the second half with uh, Peter Treisenberg maybe giving the most predictable pitch in this entire list, even ahead of Jono. Uh, so let's listen to what Peter has to say for episode 400. Hello, sharks. I'm Peter Treisenberg, and I think Retro Encounter should play Kingdom Hearts 2. Uh, this game is often considered to be the peak of the Kingdom Hearts series, and it's everything a sequel should be. It's got more Disney worlds, it's got smoother and faster-paced action combat, and visuals that still look nice even today. It also has one of the best soundtracks Yokoshima Mura has ever done. Final Mix version of the game, which is included in the HD version, fixes small issues and adds a ton of additional content, including a new area, remixed boss fights, and a challenging secret boss. Thank you very much for your time and consideration. Okay, so that was uh, Peter Treisenberg on Kingdom Hearts 2. Uh, a, you know, oh boy, a, a PS2 game that probably needs no other introduction. Um, uh, it's by, I think, maybe this is me uh, incorrectly taking the temperature of the community, but this might be the most loved Kingdom Hearts game. Um, it was a sequel that uh, expanded a lot of the world of Kingdom Hearts, really gets into the or Organization 13 and Heartless and Nobody nonsense, but uh, it is very loved and has a lot of cool worlds to explore. We already have some big money uh, being attached to Kingdom Hearts 2. Uh, starting with you, Alex, you dropped 15 on this one. Yeah, so I played uh, Kingdom Hearts uh, to at the ideal age of around like 13, 14 years old, which is uh, when anybody should be playing Kingdom Hearts for the first time. But um, I'd love to play it again. Um, I think it's like a really solid action game. I'm particularly interested in playing it on the hardest difficulty. I heard that if you do that, it becomes kind of one of the most interesting action games, ac like action slash action RPGs uh, you can get. So um, I'm really interested in that. Uh, I even played Kingdom Hearts 315 over 2 to the power of 7 or whatever it's called. Do you mean, do you mean 358 over 2 days? That's and the I, one. And I am shocked and a little <laughs> embarrassed to know that number exactly. <laughs> yeah, I even played that like a year ago, and that, that was pretty interesting. Uh, not not the, the best game, but it was an interesting one. So I, I feel like I, I got the lore uh, in my head still. So I, I would love to throw myself back into Kingdom Hearts. All right, but uh, even more enthusiastic than Alex's investment, Zach, you're dropping 20 on this. I am. Uh, you know, only only partially because of you. <laughs> and the fact that I know that you don't really want to play a Kingdom Hearts game. But yeah, I think you have some interest in playing this one. But I, I, everything Alex said is true for me as well. Like, it's... um. It's a game that I basically 100%ed, and I, I remember some of like the uh, late challenge bosses that were added into the remix. Uh, I really struggled with, and so I would be curious to see, kind of going back to it now, how I would do with some of those fights. But it, it's sort of like the perfect combination of Kingdom Hearts, where like it's sort of like that early, very simple storytelling from one before it gets like totally nonsensical. 
uh, after that. And if someone tells me that it makes sense, then I'll tell them to stop reading so much about Kingdom Hearts. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, it's it, it really is a very fun action RPG. I think that the battle system, whereas I think in Kingdom Hearts 3, it gives you so many tools that eventually it becomes sort of silly. Here, uh, I really like the different forms that you can take, um, and there's a lot of strategy to it. And uh, I played it on normal mode, but like Alex, I think I would play it on a more challenging mode this time. And uh, I, I already liked the depth of that system, and I would like to see sort of how I could do with it um, in a more challenging environment in sort of a critical mode run. And I just thought it was fun. Um, and I think it's a, it's a good game, um, and it, it, it blends what Kingdom Hearts was to start and what it becomes really well in a way that I think works. Um, and it's just so much more polished than one. It's very interesting to me, and I've... I've thought about playing Kingdom Hearts 2 many, many times in the past, especially since I, I do not love Kingdom Hearts 1. That That is well documented. Um, and I think that the series sort of took a ridiculous turn uh, in the later games. But 2 is the Kingdom Hearts game I'm, I'm, I'm most interested in playing. You were right when you said I'm... I'm not against trying this game, Zach. But uh, uh, Wes and Lucas, looks like neither of you are going to bid on this one. Um, uh, ca- uh, care to go behind your reasoning a little bit? I was considering investing in this just because the running joke about you playing Kingdom Hearts is amusing to me. (laughs) But uh, I can't put it down right now. Uh, I'm not a big Kingdom Hearts fan. I really liked the first game and the idea of it, jumping between the Disney worlds. And when they started adding in the... It's... Uh, original lore more and more uh i fell off of it hard because like you said it gets it gets weird from a gameplay perspective everything i've seen in kingdom hearts 2 looks awesome and i may be willing to uh move or to put a little bit more in uh to you know get this on one of the shows i could be convinced but i am not personally interested in it I'm I'm actually a huge fan of Kingdom Hearts. I, I adore the series. Kingdom Hearts 2 is one of the, my favorites in there. Um, the only problem is I, I also find it to be one of the most discussed RPGs of all time. Um, partially just from people trying to understand the plot and like discussing it back and forth together. Um, and, and to paraphrase, I think you should leave. I can't know how to hear any more about Kingdom Hearts. It's it would be a great game to play and discuss. I'm I'm sure, but uh, I I personally can't dive back down that rabbit hole. So I'm not going to put any money down on it. But I'm not going to begrudge anyone who does. That's very interesting to me. And with that said, offering no further commentary, I am also putting ten dollars on Kingdom Hearts. Nice. <sighs> I would Maybe. consider putting some money on it to make Mike play Kingdom Hearts too. That is. A consideration there is a real possibility of that happening uh, but but uh, for now but not, we're not quite there yet we have uh five more games to get to the next of which comes from our pal fenfen rob fenner makes his triumphant return to retro encounter to pitch this game to us howdy sharks and happy new year it's robert fenner here back again like a bad smell okay well you know me when you first contacted me to to take part in this uh battle royale i came at you with a barrage of obscure choices Uh, we could do radical dreamers since it's now included in the chrono cross remaster or we could do garage bad dream adventure now that it's uh not lost the annals of history but 
I thought it over. And how many of your listeners want to play obscure adventure games and visual novels? I thought maybe we could do something a little bit more timely and topical, especially with the Year of the Dragon, and something that would actively encourage listeners to play along with the podcast. So Dragon's Dogma 2 is out this spring, and I am a staunch believer that one should do their best to kill their hype for upcoming games. However, I also think this is the best possible time to play Dragon's Dogma 1. Have you played it? Maybe. But have you finished it? Probably not. I mean, I know some of the listeners must have, but I know I haven't. Um, I've always been enticed by Capcom's meld of Souls-like, Monster Hunter, and open-world low-fantasy RPG. I was never able to dig too far into it, as other things kept coming up when it was current. But what I played was janky in a way that I really appreciate, and its multitude of character builds and verbs feel like the opportunities are functionally endless, a kind of immersive sim fantasy RPG that encourages the player to find their own unique solutions to the game's many challenges. Plus, you can pick up any NPC, carry them like a baby, and drop them off a cliff. That won't make you too many friends in town, but it should be experienced at least once. Uh, anyway, that's my submission. Thank you very much for your consideration, and congratulations on 400 episodes. Here's to another 400, and not a single one more. All right, so that was uh, Rob Fenner's impassioned pitch for Dragon's Dogma, a uh, semi-multiplayer, semi-single-player, semi-open-world RPG that brings Capcom's uh, Monster Hunter sensibilities to a fantasy setting. This game's weird and kind of busted, but um, developed a dedicated fan base over the last decade or so, leading to uh, Dragon's Dogma 2 becoming a re reality, allegedly, later this year. I was going to put some money on this, but then I saw it skyrocket up to $65 of investment um, real fast. Uh, Wes, starting with you, you um, you're putting 30 bones on it. I am. Uh, this is where my money goes. Uh, I've been really excited at the con the, the prospect of playing dragon's dogma for retro encounter for a long time. Um, because, uh, as Rob said, um, this is a game that I have played a fair amount of, but never finished. And I'd really love to actually go through all of it before the sequel comes out. But what I've played has always been a blast. The action is really fun. Climbing on giant monsters is ridiculous and entertaining. And the, especially the job system, the jobs that they have are really unique and really cool. And it look, look, looks like, they're only going to add to that in the sequel. So I'd like to experience it here before I move on. And and, and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you can sort of uh, approach monsters with parties of up to four with characters correct. called pawns. Mm -hmm. And you, you make one pawn for yourself. That's like sort of your hero's companion character. Yes. But then you upload the pawn and then you can download the pawns of other players and have them accompany you. And if, you, if uh, a player's pawn gains experience and uploads it back, then they get bonuses in their own game. Correct. Which is such a cool idea and such a cool little social uh, aspect to it. That is cool. Um, it was at 65 already. It's up to 70 I, now. Oh, wow. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, everyone's invested in this besides me. I actually kind of feel bad. That, that's um, why I changed mine to five. <laughs> all right. Uh, it felt dishonest. But 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 uh, uh, Zach, you um you also put thirty on this one. Looks like that I this did. is maybe the the game on this list you're most interested in. It is, uh, and it's uh, you know it's strange. You told me six months ago that if we had this list of twelve games and this is the game that I would be most interested in, I would have been like, what? No. Uh, but you know, uh, 
the sequel coming out obviously is a big part of it, but like, like, uh, Fenner's description of it just sounded like absolutely the sort of like weird broken thing that I really want to try. Um, and and the descriptions of like the different ways the combat works. Um, I've heard that the combat is super fun. Um, you know, the guy who, uh, sort of is in charge of DMC now, I think, um, it was the guy who worked on the combat and directed this game. And I, and I think that, um, it, it just sounds like a, a weird combination of a lot of things I like and it is absolutely the sort of thing that I want to at least try. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's, it, 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 I think it would lead to really interesting conversations on retro as well, uh, which is a, a big part of uh, my voting here as well or my bidding rather. He's not only the combat director of DMC five, but final fantasy 16, one of your faves, Zach. Right. Exactly. But um, but Alex and Lucas, um, you're maybe not quite as enthusiastic as Wes and Zach, but you each put a five on this one, bringing it to seventy. And you know, you know, if we have five hundred dollars between the total of us, if if seven games get seventy, that's four hundred ninety. Uh, do you guys have any objections if we make seventy the cutoff to make the poll? That feels like I, a good number. Yeah, that feels like there's a lot of enthusiasm for this one. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but but uh, Alex, uh, what are your thoughts on Dragon's Dogma? Uh, it's it's a game I've been looking to play for years. I, I bought it on Switch so long ago uh, for a higher price than I could have gotten it now. Um, but I, I've never been opposed to a little jank, so that's not a turn off. And um, the the combat and like class system in this game just look fantastic. Um, I, I love the idea that you can like uh, just build your character how you want. Do different like class combination kind of things like Final Fantasy V and that kind of thing. Um, and also like mounting monsters, like like a monster hunter or a shadow of the Colossus, like that, that is all like very, very appealing to me. So uh, I was going to put zero on this uh, because so many people bid on it so quickly, but that felt dishonest to me. So, so I threw five in just to, uh, just to give a little bit of support. Yeah. This is one I was planning on, putting a little bit of investment in a little bit more investment than I ended up doing, but uh, Wes and Zach were very generous. So I'm okay with limping in. Uh, it's a game I've been curious about and seeing the stuff about the sequel had me interested in it. So I'd love to uh, either play it or hear people's thoughts either way. Yeah. I mean, I intended to invest in this game, when uh uh when the full list was out but again wes and zach were so uh uh um fast on this one uh, that i haven't even put any money yet but um wes and zach i I, i'd like you to have a little bit more cash to play around with so would you object if i put 10 on we keep the 70 dollars wins thing and uh zach and wes both change yours to 25 I'll take my five bucks back. Yeah, right. for yeah, sure. Right. You, you, you get a you get a five dollar rebate on your thirty dollar investment. Uh, so now this is the first game that all five people invested in, and I think we can officially make Dragon's Dogma the first game to cross the finish line and make it on the poll. I just need Rob to know we were willing to throw thirty on it. Yes. No. 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 <laughs> it is acknowledged. You guys were bidding thirty, but then you got some of that money back because they're all, because Alex, Lucas, and I were all backing you up on that. So yeah, um, our first unanimous uh, vote is Dragon's Dogma, and it makes it in with the the newly established seventy dollar minimum to make it. And I think that means um, um, at, probably we're going to end up with six or seven on the poll, which is a li- which is a little larger than normal. But you know, I'm not against it because this is this is a, a just a different way we're playing this time. 
Um, so we're two thirds of the way through the list. And the next uh, game comes from a different Rob, Rob Steinman. Maybe it was a little predictable that I would phone Rob to uh, bring on this one. And, and like Rob Fenner, I let Rob Steinman uh, go a little long on his pitch because I, I just I just wanted to let the Robs cook. Uh, so let's listen to Rob Steinman's pitch. Hello, Sharks. Uh, I am here to try to convince you that we should be covering Demon's Souls. I'm going to do my best to enunciate that. Um, so Demon's Souls is kind of the precursor to all of the Dark Souls games, all the Dark Souls likes. Um, of course, someone right now is going to start yelling and screaming that it's actually a Kingsfield game. I know, I know. All right, let's everybody calm down. Uh, but the reason why I think we should cover Demon's Souls, uh, Dark Souls probably one of the most important games of the past decade its influence can be felt just about everywhere in video games we have tons and tons of indie titles we have tons and tons of what we call souls likes from software is now on the map but this all started with demon souls and i think that by analyzing demon souls we can kind of see what were the things that they got right right out the gate what were some of the things that were maybe a little bit of a misstep how did we get to dark souls and bloodborne and sekiro and all these games from demon souls but i think there's also a really cool area that we can explore a little bit of what are the things that were left behind with demon souls uh, when i was playing elden ring a little bit I felt some of the old Demon Souls energy, and I was kind of disappointed that they didn't go further with that. I think Demon Souls is the most RPG out of all of the games that they've made. But uh, yeah, I think Demon Souls would be a wonderful game for us to analyze on Retro Encounter. I think the Sharks would do well to give it some consideration, and I very much thank you for your time, and hopefully you make the right decision. Okay, so that was Rob Steinman's pitch for Demon's Souls with a slightly sinister note at the end, <laughs> indicating that he hopes we make the right decision. I enjoyed that a bit. Um, but uh, And I think I've mentioned on podcasts before, I played Demon's Souls for the first time uh, two years ago, and it was my introduction to From Software proper. I mean, I played a couple of games in the past, like 3D.GameHeroes. That's really not a Souls-like. <laughs> um, but I, li I liked Demon's Souls so much that I was um, interested in playing more. I played Bloodborne for the podcast last year. And um, I am going to put $10 on this one because I, I genuinely really liked Demon's Souls when I played it. But also, I'm, I, I don't think I'm as interested in rolling a... Uh, rolling with the same character again i would probably start a new game with a new uh build but even just doing that and um and reliving the high the highs of demon's souls again is is fun and exciting to me so yeah this is an easy ten dollars that that might become more later uh and it looks like this is the second game in a row where everyone's investing at least some although maybe not quite as enthusiastically as for dragon's dogma uh, let's just go left to right. Uh, Alex, um, your thoughts on Demon Souls and why you're throwing a 10 in there. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I, I love the, the Souls series. I, I've been on, on record saying that um, Demon Souls is uh, like the rest of them is one I love. Um, it's also one I've played years, years ago at this point, and I've only beaten once. So on that note, uh, yeah, of course I'd play it again. Uh, with a different build and and, and see what I can uh, come up with. So, I mean, that's part of the appeal of Souls games, right? Is uh, revisiting them and and messing around with builds and seeing what you can do. And uh, Demon Souls is a very interestingly designed game. Um, 
know, I don't, I don't love every aspect of it, but uh, I love it nonetheless. And uh, yeah, uh, so I'm throwing 10 on this one. Yeah, this time around, I think I would do the poison sw- swamp last instead of second. My, <laughs> yeah, I'm th- definitely that's, gonna, that's the right call. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what I did when I played through it. <laughs> I think that's the change I would make. <laughs> uh, but uh, Lucas, your thoughts on Demon's Souls as a future retro encounter game? Uh, this was also my first FromSoft uh, game that I had played. This is my introduction to the series. I kind of fell off with Dark Souls, and I technically never finished Demon's Souls, but I really got back into the idea a lot more uh, recently. I Elden Ring grabbed me hard, and I really like that game. And especially hearing his comparison of Demon's Souls and Elden Ring that he said he specifically mentioned there were some things that felt like the DNA was there more than in the Dark Souls series uh, that really has me intrigued Uh, it's been on my list for a while anyway and uh, yeah I'd really like to actually finish playing through it now Wes your turn I'm real lousy at Souls games, y'all. I'm absolutely terrible, and I keep trying, and I keep failing. Um, But that's kind of part of the appeal, right? And I find that I would get a lot more out of this if I had, like, other people playing alongside me and people to discuss and and people to to help figure out some of the more arcane parts of of these games. Um, So not only does that appeal to me, I think it's just a really cool series to talk about. It makes really interesting conversation, which I think makes for interesting episodes. So of course I'm going to throw something on it, even if I don't end up playing it. Okay. That's an interesting angle. Now, um, <laughs> now Zach, I know you've played this game because you've played every uh, souls like, or at least most of them in the last six months or <laughs> like maybe, three months, really yeah, like three months. <laughs> so uh, are you that interested in replaying demon souls when you played it? Just, not long ago. <laughs> that is a good question. And actually, my original intention was not to bid on this at all. Um, but I thought Steinman uh, had some really interesting things to say that I, I actually don't know what he means by. Uh, talking about sort of the DNA of Demon Souls uh, being present again in Elden Ring. And I was sort of racking my brain this morning as I was listening to this pitch and thinking about it. And I still don't really know what he means by that. Me neither. Uh, um, but <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying that he's wrong. I, I, just, I just genuinely don't know. Um, and I've played them both in pretty close proximity to each other. Demon's Souls is probably my least favorite of the FromSoft games. Um, I think that it is weirdly static in a lot of ways compared to the other ones. Uh, I, I don't really like the way that the levels are designed in some cases. And I think it's ultimately just kind of easy once you kind of figure out what works for you. Like I thought the second half of the game, I just kind of blew right through it. Um, but... Uh, I have heard it gets harder in New Game Plus, uh, which I think would be cool um, to kind of get more of a challenge out of Demon's Souls. And uh, I really want to test st- what Steinman said. <laughs> so uh, I- I'm interested enough to go through and replay it. And I don't think it would take all that long to replay because it's the shortest one, too. So, yeah, I-, I have some interest, but not a ton necessarily. You know, I-, I think I mentioned on the Bloodborne podcast sometimes that I think I still like Demon's Souls more than Bloodborne. That that's changed a little bit. Bloodborne's just better than Demon Souls, but I I really do have affection for this game, and it was my introduction to the sort of um, contiguous design philosophy of uh, of Souls likes from From Software, and and boss designs that like sort of reminded me of the best of Monster Hunter and Castlevania, but 
then combined into a 3D combat system that really works. I, I am intrigued to play it, and I would do it with a different build. Um, although I will probably miss my Blessed Mirrodin Hammer a lot. But yeah, it looks like that uh, Demon Souls has exactly $10 from each of the five of us, putting it in second place overall, uh, tied with Boku no Natsu Yasumi 2 and, uh, and only behind Dragon's Dogma. So we have three more to talk about, and the next one comes from Stephanie Sabidlo. Let's see what Steph has to say. Hello, Sharks. My name is Stephanie G. Stumpelburgensen, and I wanted to pitch the awaited sequel to the beloved PlayStation 1 hit Star Ocean The Second Story by Enix. It would be my pleasure to present Star Ocean 3 till the end of time. An epic two-disc adventure with crisp, modern PS2 graphics that will take the series into an entirely 3D space, with full voice acting and robust soundtrack from composer Motoi Sakuraba, with parts of the soundtrack performed by real orchestra, with a somewhat meta story that makes players think about the video games they play, and within a sci-fi scope that has our heroes fighting to free the universe from an oppressive outer dimensional force. But really the main focus will be on engaging combat and impressive post-game contact that can take players anywhere from 2 to 300 hours to fully finish. Gameplay-wise, players can expect a higher-than-average challenge. We want to target RPG players more confident in their abilities and willing to experiment with the eight unique characters' skills and equipment. One new element is MP death in addition to the usual HP death that can affect both player and enemy. These challenges will keep combat fresh and complicated as players decide what decisions are best in busy real-time action RPG fights. Thank you for your time, and congratulations on 400 episodes! Okay, now that was uh, Steph's plea for Star Ocean Till the End of Time, uh, a.k.a. Star Ocean 3 for the podcast. And, and I should mention, um, I had to edit this one down a little bit. Steph's pitch was initially the longest of any that I received, but I cut it almost in half because she did this weird role play thing where it was like she was treating it like it was 2003 and she was actually pitching uh, a sequel to Star Ocean 2 to, to uh, Enix slash Square Enix. This was one of the last... Uh, games developed by only enix i think or, or uh, uh before they merged in 03 it, so like there, there was it was a little confusing um and and different from the others so i i did pare it down a little bit but i don't want to d- diminish uh the the work and enthusiasm steph put into this pitch because <laughs> i don't want to hear the sabidlo cut <laughs> <laughs> i it, it talked a little bit about the uh about the multitude of of item and skill systems and some end game stuff <laughs> I, I didn't want all of these to be more than two minutes with all that said, apologies to Steph for cutting her pitch a little bit. I'm still putting $10 on it because um, I I have played Star Ocean 1 and 2 to completion, um, but but not not the recent not the recent remake. And I uh, I did play till the end of time a long time ago when I was in university uh, in the mid 2000s sometime. And I got to the twist and thought and because there's a sort of an infamous plot twist in Star Ocean 3 that I we will not get into at this time if it if it becomes a podcast later we definitely will though and uh I found the twist kind of wild and I was but then I I think my university studies got really busy and I had to just uh stop a couple RPGs in their tracks and I never got back into Star Ocean until the end of time despite playing probably more than two-thirds of it so I, I would like to give it another shot and I think this is the right chance to because shockingly, um, we haven't had a lot of any Star Ocean on Retro Encounter ever before. And that seems like a mistake to me, even though like Tri-Ace is a little niche. Um, these are really, really loved games, uh, especially by RPG fans audience, which which maybe likes the PS1 and PS2 eras more than any other. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it, it's an 
almost an ideal future retro encounter game, which is what, and, and I, and I, I got pretty far without finishing it many years ago. So I'd, I'd like to get back to it. But uh, Alex, you, I only put $10 on, you put 15. What are your thoughts on Star Ocean 3? Yeah, so I wasn't like super interested in Star Ocean 3 uh, going in, but that, w- that was a pretty good pitch. Um, I, Steph mentioned a couple things that uh, appeal to me personally. Uh, the whole idea of the story kind of being like a, a meta narrative about uh, the fact that we play video games. What does that mean? Uh, just like the more experimental gameplay mechanics like MP death and things like that, which just keep combat fresh and interesting. Um, these are things that very much appeal to me. And the fact that Steph also vouched highly for uh, Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter, which we discussed on Retro Counter last year. Um, and that ended up being my favorite game that I played in that entire year. And one of my favorite RPGs of all time uh, just makes me trust her taste. So I, I would love to give this a shot. So I threw 15 on there. And also the fact that I saw that this one uh, game of the year uh, in its respective year from us one year. So uh, that that seems to deserve a revisit, if anything. <laughs> I think I think that would put it in 2003, right? I believe so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe it was like 02 Japan, 03 worldwide. Something, but but right right around there, like right in the PS2 sweet spot. And uh, and PS2 is one of the best systems for RPGs, which we established in that uh, in an episode <laughs> with a title similar to that uh, some years ago. Um, but uh, Lucas, you're also uh, putting some money down for Star Ocean Three. So. I really liked Star Ocean 2. I am curious about this one because a lot of the later games in that space, like a lot of the Tales games, I didn't love. But this pitch really was intriguing to me. Uh, the idea of like the skill systems and uh, being able to you know customize and optimize your characters. Um, or figure, at least figuring out how to use them efficiently uh, intrigued me. And I definitely agree with you. The fact that we don't have a Star Ocean game on Retro Encounter honestly is a really good selling point for it to me, even though it is uh, on the longer side of the games on the list. And yeah. Also, Star Ocean is having a bit of a moment right now. Um, yeah. Star, Star Ocean uh, 5 happened... Uh, or was no Star Ocean six happened around two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago. And then last year we had a very gorgeous remake of Star Ocean two. There, there's some positive energy behind Star Ocean at Square Enix, which is a little surprising, but also super cool because a lot of people like those first couple Star Ocean games. And I'm not this is not going to be a defense of uh, of four or five here. But um, yeah, I, I'm interested in Star Ocean for the podcast. Um. But uh, Wes and Zach looks like neither of you quite are. Um, uh, any Star Ocean thoughts to share? Uh, if we were going to play Star Ocean game, I would. I think the two would be the right call. Uh, I just don't really have any interest in the Star Ocean series. Even I don't really even want to play two again. Uh, and yeah, I, it just doesn't. It doesn't appeal to me. I guess personally, I, I agree that Steph did a nice job of talking about some things that maybe I didn't know about it. But I, I never found the combat in those games all that all that engaging or enjoyable and the storytelling even in two, I thought was pretty whack. So yeah, <laughs> I really liked Steph's sales pitch and it said a few things that really appealed to me, but it was all undone by that time last year. I tried to replay this game and found a lot of things I really didn't jive with in it. Um, especially the combat system, kind of this 
two hit melee combo just made it really hard for me to engage. I still like a lot of the series, but weirdly enough, this one has kind of moved down because I played it when I was younger and absolutely adored it. And I find playing it now, it just doesn't match up to my expectations for an action RPG anymore, Um, which is a shame, but maybe that's a me problem. Right on. Uh, Again, I I played this probably somewhere in the 0607 range. So so it had already been a well-established game. Uh, but I, I, I fell off of it just because that was a very busy time in my life scholastically. But uh, right now, I'm, I'm not nearly as busy scholastically and much busier for other reasons right now. So we'll, we'll see how far this one gets. Right now, it's in a multiple, it's in a, a tie with several other games for $30 of investment. And um, with a couple games to go, I mean, uh, Alex has, uh, has spent all of his cash, but everyone else has some investment dollars in reserve. Uh, so let's see how this second to last pitch goes. And this one comes from, uh, excuse me, Rhythm Encounter co-founder and uh, frequent Random Encounter collabor- collaborator, Stephen Myrink. Let's see what Steb has to say. Hello, Sharks. I'm Stephen Myrink, and I am here today to pitch to you King's Quest VI. It is a classic of the point-and-click adventure game genre, and it is basically one of two different styles. You have the LucasArts style and the Sierra style. And Six, or Gabriel Knight, is basically the apex of the company's style. It has the most cogent writing, the best world building, and the most internal consistency of the series. It's also very non-linear, has multiple endings, and some of the best puzzle design Sierra ever managed, which isn't saying much, but it's still, it's really good. Uh, It's very different in style from what many modern adventure games are, because most modern ones tend to be more an offshoot of the LucasArts style, which is a little more forgiving and a little more experimental, whereas uh, the Sierra games will just let you die and fail over and over again. Uh, so in that regard, they can be punishing, but the pu- and the puzzle design can be arcane, but this one has some of the best, uh, and it also gives them a fairly unique flavor as a result. So if you are going to play one classic Sierra adventure game, and I recommend you do, play this one, or play Gabriel Knight, because it's by many of the same lead creatives, including writer-designer Jane Jensen. Thank you for your consideration, Sharks. Pick King's Quest VI. All right, so that was Steven's pitch on King's Quest VI, and I, I guess I, I've been doing this most of this episode, I'm sorry, but I'm going to go first here. I'm putting $10 on this because I like adventure games. I've played a medium number of classic adventure games, uh, uh, but really, I, I don't have a lot of Sierra experience other than one very confusing stint with uh, Freddy Farkas Frontier Pharmacist at a friend's house decades ago. Uh, try saying that five times fast. But no. uh, <laughs> but but yeah, the King's Quest series are sort of the um, uh, the, uh, the the famous like Jane Jensen uh, writing uh, classic Sierra adventure games. Like uh, like I mean, people have affection for Gabriel Knight, which Stephen alluded to, and also Space Quest. But sort of like the King's Quest games were the counterpoint to the best of the LucasArts adventure games, like your Monkey Islands of the world. Um, in the 90s when when the adventure game design was sort of in a, a minor heyday. But because I haven't played any of them, and because I'm interested in playing one that isn't Le- Leisure Suit Larry, I think uh, I, I, I think I would enjoy King's Quest VI. So I'm, I'm, I am putting a tentative $10 on it for now. And uh, my, my one uh, brother in investment right now is Lucas. Um, uh, uh, ironically, you're not picking a Lucas Arts game, but a Sierra game, Lucas. It's true. <laughs> uh, so this is one of the only Sierra King's Quest series games that I have actually played, uh, and have played 
through a few several times. Uh, it's one that I played through as a kid, and that I absolutely love some of the puzzle and the writings it on. King's Quest is awesome. Talking about adventure games is fun. Um, I'd be really curious to see what people have to say. And it's, again, it's something different that we can bring to the to the podcast. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, JRPGs on RPG Fan. So bringing out some of the other aspects is always uh, always fun to me. All right, but it looks like you and I might be the only classic adventure game enthusiasts here, or at least the only ones uh, willing to put some money where our mouths are for King's Quest VI. Uh, Wes, Zach, or Alex, uh, any thoughts on King's Quest at all? So I'm not opposed to to checking out a King's Quest game. I, I haven't played any of them, um, but I've I got nothing against adventure games. In fact, I like them. I, I don't even mind the ones with obtuse and punishing puzzle mechanics. I've I've played multiple text adventure games, like Infocom games, before, and and, and even enjoyed them. Uh, but I have a lot of adventure games I'm interested in playing at some point, and this one isn't just very high on the list so and i'm also broke I, I spend all my money already everyone here has at least ten dollars left to invest except for you you're down to zeros yeah but uh wes you have fifteen dollars in your wallet uh but no king's quest for you i'm not the biggest fan of adventure games in general i i, I like a handful of them here and there but i'll admit the the pitch got me a little bit interested just in in playing you know one of the best the pillars of the genre um but not quite enough to put money in yet. If this one goes up a little bit more, I might help pitch it over the the wall. Um, but as of right now, it's just not my kind of game. I have basically the same response. And part of my thinking with some of these is like, I know it's going to go to a poll. And what chance do I think King's Quest Six has to win a poll? I don't think it has any chance to win a poll. So um, that's part of my thinking with some of my investments. And it's I'm just not a big adventure game guy. I get bored with them and frustrated. And um, yeah, so that's where I am. Yeah, I understand. I my um, stamina for adventure games is a little limited. Like I've attempted but never beaten the longest journey. Something like, oh, I don't know, at least three times. We did an adventure games month uh, about a year and a half ago. I think I think it was like September or October of 2022, and I really had to steal myself and force myself to play four adventure games in a month or uh, three adventure games in one sort of limited horror adventure uh and, and it wasn't because they were bad it was they were actually four very very good games it was just i i, I can't binge adventure games unless i and, and lose myself in one like i can so easily into an rpg so i like adventure games i just can't play a ton of them otherwise i get really bored i feel the same way about visual novels i, I don't know i i would like to at least make a sincere try at this one so i am putting ten dollars down if it if no one else besides me and lucas bids then my money can go somewhere else, but uh, for now, I'll, I'll keep that 10 in. I, I will say, in, in response to kind of what everybody else has said, I can definitely see some of those with this game is inc included in this game, some of the problems that people bring up with adventure games. Uh, there is a little bit of obtuse logic. They're obtuse, but they're also witty and fun once you know. And I guess that's kind of one of the things with it is it's one of those games that's like, the writing is amazing. It's got a lot of great features to it. You might need a guide the first time. 
which kind of defeats the purpose. Well, I understand that it would defeat the purpose, but also it's 2024. I have no yeah. shame in checking a guide if I have to. Exactly. Either. And it's something where I feel like even if people haven't played it themselves, it is a game that's worth like watching somebody else play through at least. Um, just because it is really clever in a lot of ways. All right. Well, I, I agree that uh, King's Quest Six is at least very intriguing, although I cannot attest to how good it is. Um, there, here's one game that I have played a little bit, uh, that, um, but I'm not sure I want to invest in it. Um, our last game in our series of pitches comes from Tom Cox. Let's hear uh, Tom's thoughts. Uh, and also, welcome back to RPG Fan, Tom. Tom was gone for the site for over a year and recently rejoined the news team. So um, we're great to have Tom back and also excited to hear his pitch. Hey, Sharks. So today, my suggestion that I'm going to put forward and pitch to you guys is Stardew Valley. I think my uh, my reason for this is that when we think about like a, a genre or a subgenre of games, everyone's going to have their personal favorite. For example, like JRPGs, like my favorite is probably going to be a Pokemon game, but I can guarantee that's probably not one of yours but i think when it comes to the, the farming subgenre there's almost like a unanimous unanimous like decision that stardew valley is the best in that genre like before stardew valley i played a lot of farming sims and nowadays there's just there's nothing that compares and that's i always just whenever i want a farming game it's back to stardew valley so thank you for your time thank you for your consideration uh yeah hope 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 it gets through so that was Tom's thoughts on Stardew Valley, a genre pinnacle, as it were. Uh, and then, but again, I'm going to apologize to Tom right now. I just am not interested in playing a lengthy farming game for Retro Encounter, at least not at this time. I've I played the very beginning of Stardew Valley. Uh, I got it on sale on the Switch. I I think like some people were very effusive about it on an episode of Retro or Random Encounter uh, a while ago, like at least a year ago. So I bought it for the Switch. But it just never really connected with me. I don't think that entire genre or most of that genre is for me. So I'm not going to put any money on Stardew Valley at this time. But uh looks like I'm not alone. I don't see any other investors here. Uh, anyone care to elaborate? Yeah, I mean, the reality is, like, if I was going to play a farming sim game, and a lot of my friends, uh, including my wife, really like the farming sim genre, I am not going to play it for retro. <laughs> um, and I, I don't think that it probably really works as a game journal in some ways. Like I, I think it would be great, but it's, it's extremely lengthy. It seems like it's kind of a, an almost infinite loop kind of game. Uh, my friends who I know who have played it, played it for like 500 hours. Uh, so to me, it's kind of like doing animal crossing uh, for retro. Obviously it's not our coverage, but I don't really know how you do it. Um, and even though I have some very mild interest in it, I, I, I think it would maybe work as like a one-off episode, uh, but as a game journal, I think it would be tough. So that was actually part of the reason that I don't wasn't going to put money into it, uh, because Retro 367 was RPG fan how to farm, and there was a lot of discussion about it already from people who are very invested in it as a kind of a one-off episode. And I feel like that is a good representation of it. I don't feel like it needs its own uh, game journal episode. Uh, it's a great game. It's, I just don't think we need a podcast about it. Yeah, I'm also like, I'm decently interested in, in Stardew Valley and I have played a few hours of it. 
Um, I also picked it up on the Switch uh, on a whim just because of its reputation. And uh, I, I have had some good times playing older Harvest Moon games, uh, which I still find pretty charming. But uh, yeah, for, for the reasons you all raised already, um, doesn't make the most sense as a retro encounter game. It's also just so, so, so time consuming. Okay, so that was our 12th and final pitch. Um, uh, we went through 12 rounds of investing. Um, all of us spent between, oh, it looks like between $70 and $100. Uh, so there's some people still have some reserves left, but uh, most of our money is on the board. Right now, um, Grandia 2 has $35. Boku no Natsu Yasumi 2 has $50. Pokemon Conquest is $40. Illusion of Gaia has $40. Final Fantasy IV Heroes of Light is $35. Dark Cloud 2 is $5. Kingdom Hearts 2 is $45. Dragon's Dogma has $70. So unless uh, someone's investments change, that one is through to the next round. Demon's Souls is at $50. Star Ocean Till the End of Time is at $35. King's Quest 6 is at $20, and Stardew Valley is at $0. So now is the time where we um, shuffle our money around a little bit. We can uh, let, Let's take turns making changes to our board, um, but, but not everyone act at once, because that would just be a little confusing <laughs> to follow. Uh, so uh, whoever's ready, um, uh, care to make some changes and, uh, and maybe illustrate what your end game is, or s- some of your end game for this episode. So uh, I can go and get started. Uh, there, there are two games uh, that have not hit the mark that I'd really like to see hit the mark. Um, and those are Kingdom Hearts 2 and Grandia 2. Uh, so right now I have $5 invested in Dark Cloud 2. I am the only person who has any money invested in Dark Cloud 2, and I'm going to delete that. And I also think I'm going to pull my funding from Illusion of Gaia, uh, because while I think it would be fun to go back to, and I think that Hillary had a great pitch. Um, I just kind of want my money to go elsewhere. And I'm going to up my investment in Grandia 2 to 25 uh, to get it up to an even 50. Um, And then I think I'm going to throw another 10 at Kingdom Hearts 2 to get it up to 55. And I still have 10 to play around with, kind of think about what I want to do with that. But that's kind of where I am right now. Excellent. So anyone else want to go next? I'll go next. Uh, I've got... A couple things that I'm thinking about. First one, and these are actually things that I would like to propose as well um, to other people. Uh, the first thing I'd like to bring up is Demon's Souls is, even though it hasn't made the mark yet, it is currently unanimous. If all of us with money left put five more bucks in, it would hit the mark. I am willing to put some money in. Yeah, me too. I could throw an extra five at Demon Souls. Okay, I'll I'll join you. I I'll put in five more in Demon Souls as well. And and that brings Demon Souls up to seventy. Exactly. Second thing is, I feel like I don't think King's Quest is going to make it. I think that was a good <laughs> argue or that the comment of I don't think it'll make it was valid. I think I'm going to make move my 10 bucks from that into uh boku no uh natsuya yasumi which may not be exactly the same vibe but at least has a kind of similar more narrative game vibe uh to it from the sounds of it keep one of those kind of in the running all right i think i'll go next um, and I'm going to make just one very easy decision. I, I, uh, if I'm the only person supporting King's Quest Six, and I don't want to blow, I, I don't want to spend seventy whole dollars getting it over the hump. 
Uh, I'll remove my support from King's Quest Six. So I have thirty-five dollars left to spend. I, I spent the less and the least of any of us in the early rounds. Um, I think I would like to see Boku no Natsuyasumi Two in the list. So I'm gonna increase my investment to bring that one up to the seventy threshold. I have twenty-five left. Other than the three that are already at seventy, the ones I like the most are Final Fantasy IV Heroes of Light. And probably Kingdom Hearts 2. Yeah, all right. With with apologies to Steph, I think I'm going to remove support from Star Ocean to the end of time. And I'm just going to throw all 35 at Final Fantasy IV Heroes of Light. Wow. Whoa. Did not see that coming. Now I'm at $45 of investment at that one. Unless Lucas or Wes or Alex pulls cash from that, uh, it's making it. I was I was gonna join you on that trip, but looks like I don't need to anymore. <laughs> I am probably gonna pull from Final Fantasy and Grandia, and I was act I was thinking of putting it into Star Ocean three, but now it seems like that's not gonna make it. So I, I might need to think about this a bit more. T- tell you what, I was thinking about moving some into Star Ocean also. Okay, okay. Well, and Forward Heroes of Light has already made it. Well, I mean, I, well, hmm, let's see. Maybe I could, hmm, I'm trying to figure this out. <laughs> if anyone pulls from Four Heroes of Light, I'll probably be adding to it. All right, so. all right. I, I'm going to reduce my investment from 45 to 35 for Four Heroes of Light. Uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll keep it on Star Ocean for now because I am interested. Well, no, hmm, I'm not sure. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna re- reduce my four heroes of light investment from forty five to thirty five, but then keep these last ten dollars in reserve, d- depending on whether Kingdom Hearts two needs more help or something else needs help. Yeah, I'm most inclined to moving around to help out uh, Star Ocean three and Kingdom Hearts two right now. Just just so y'all know, Lucas, I think that Pokemon Conquest might be a uh, a dead uh, I... a dead racer. I, I think we're in that situation. That was where yeah, I was since, looking at pulling from as well. Since we don't have anyone in there, I think we've got to just go on ahead and take our money back. Um, I'm going to put 10 more into Final Fantasy, bring it up to 20 to get us back into the thresh- threshold again. Uh, I currently have 20 bucks left, so I've got a little bit of flexibility. Uh, you know what I'm going to do with that flexibility is put all of it in Grandia. Ooh. Mm. So Grandia is at 70 now, or Grandia 2 is at 70. I The more I've thought about this, the more excited I've gotten about the idea of Grandia 2. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's going to be popular with listeners. I think it's got a great shot at winning the poll, too. I think, yeah. it's, I think it's a good investment. And it's a game that's got a lot of interesting concepts in it that I think will lead to good discussion. So. Interesting. So wait, Alex and Lucas, we can get Star Ocean or Kingdom Hearts 2 over the hump because because uh wes and zach uh have have less money than the three of us i i'd I'd, I'd rather keep my final fantasy and boku no yasu uh yatsumi investments where they are but uh, do do you guys have a preference between star ocean 3 and kingdom hearts 2 or a different idea well the other thing i'm noticing is i don't think illusion of guy is going to make that threshold at this point yeah that's a good point maybe we should uh pool out I don't think that there that it's worth putting the investment in if we're not going to be able to make the threshold. So I think I'm okay with let's round out, finish or keep 
Grandia 2, Four Heroes of Light. Oh, so you're, you're topping off those to help, to just to get them to 70. Yeah. Uh, and then I will put another 20 into Star Ocean to kind of bring that back up into into contention. Hmm. So right now we have, we, we have five games that hit $70. That's Grandia 2, Boku no Natsu Yasumi 2, Final Fantasy IV Heroes of Light, Dragon's Dogma, and Demon's Souls. And a couple games that are close. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 is at 55, and Star Ocean Till the End of Time is at 45. And basically everything else has been abandoned. I have $10, and I think... I cannot believe I'm saying this, but I think I am going to put my last 10 bucks on kingdom hearts too. So now it just needs five more dollars to get over the hump. I'll, I'll give it another five. Oh, I, I, okay. I gave it the five. We're good already. All right. Kingdom hearts two. <laughs> kingdom hearts two currently in first place with $75. In just that case. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm going to use the rest of my 25 that I've withdrawn uh, into star ocean. And I'll top it off. Yeah, so oh no, Alex, you have $5 left if you want to just give something a shout out or have something tie Kingdom, <laughs> uh, something tie Kingdom Hearts 2 <laughs> for 75 bucks. You know, I'll, just for Quintet, I'm going to put five into Illusion of Gaia. <laughs> out, of, out of respect. You know, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll join you there. I'll put, I'll put five back in. We've got Excellent. our seven locked, or we've got all of our games locked in already. Illusion of Gaia gets the shout out. Wow! So this was uh, this was both very interesting to see play out and a little bit less drama. I didn't, uh, there's no backstabbing, but multiple collaborations. This is super interesting. Wow! I'm, I'm looking at the uh, board with some marvel. Like no one just blew seventy and then tried to negotiate their thirty w- with other people. Like it's <laughs> th- there was there was group investments and then a couple people just sort of put their extra money here and there to get something over the top until we got to a seven and it's a pretty good seven. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think I'll just go down the line and say them. Um, uh, we have Grandia two originally proposed by Alana, Alana Hags with the largest investor being Wes with $30. Then we have Boku no Natsuyasumi two um, originally proposed by Derek Hemsbergen with the largest investor being Alex with $30. Then down the line, we have final fantasy, the four heroes of light, originally proposed by John O'Logan, and with the largest investor being me at $35. Then Kingdom Hearts 2, originally proposed by Peter Treisenberg, with the largest investor being Zach at $35. Down the line, Dragon's Dogma, originally proposed by Rob Fenner, had the most broad amount of support from the entire group, with the two largest investors being Wes and Zach at $25 each. Then Demon's Souls, our second early unanimous pick, um, originally proposed by Rob Steinman, with the largest investor being a four-way tie of four different investors at $15 each. And within the last um, the last game uh, making our list is Star Ocean Till the End of Time, originally proposed by Steph Sabidlo, with the the, uh, the co-investors at, uh, at $35 each, Alex and Lucas. So that's the list. Fellas, we did it. The um these seven games are going to be part of a public poll that we will share shortly after this episode airs, and then after about a week or maybe ten days of polling, we um one of these games will be a future retro encounter game, possibly more than one, because games that do well on polls tend to show up later in sort of a you know retro encounter echo of sorts. But 
one of these will be a game on Retro Encounter soon, probably April or May. So, uh, yeah, thank you for playing this silly game that I didn't totally understand even as I was playing it, uh, <laughs> gentlemen. Surprised at how friendly it ended up. I'm not too surprised. I mean, I, I, I feel like we were all not thinking about what we wanted as much as what we thought would be good for the podcast. We all know enough about it that it like that's kind of the direction it felt like it was going. I feel like everyone walked in with ideas and then the ideas that had sort of multiple supporters rose quickly to the top. And then we, we all came, we all basically just came to an equilibrium that I I hope no one was terribly upset about. Oh no, I'm very satisfied. (laughs) I'm still planning on looking at, Pokemon Conquest for myself. <laughs> and I'll probably talk to Wes about it if I pick it up. Yeah. It just I think won't so. be a podcast. <laughs> I, I do want to be somewhat of an Asano completionist, so even if for Final Fantasy Four Heroes of Light does lose, I probably will play that later this year. And I'm sure uh each of us has one or more games on this list with a, a, a with that a similar attitude or similar feelings. Oh, and I also should mention uh, Illusion of Gaia was a very honorable eighth place in this list with the final $10 of investment from uh, Alex and Lucas. But uh, I mean, it's, it's it's time to end the episodes if we if we've picked our poll. But um, maybe there's one last thing we can uh, talk about. I mean, guys, it was 400 episodes of Retro Encounter. <laughs> That's no joke. The podcast has been a major part of my life since I co-founded it with some other folks at RPG Fan in 2015. And I've been the showrunner uh, of Retro Encounter since 2017. Um, thank you guys for helping me get to 400. It, it took a while, but here we are. That's a wild number of episodes to hit. That's absolutely amazing. It yeah, really it's is. a real milestone. Yeah, it's been fun. I, it's uh, crazy to think that how long I was listening to it and, uh, you know, how much I've contributed since I've been here. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah, same. Pretty new to RPG fan, but have been listening to retro for, I mean, that's, I think the reason a lot of people have ended up joining the site. Yeah, a surprise. I mean, it always shocks me when I hear it, but a surprising number of RPG fan staff started out as podcast listeners. Um, I'm among them technically because I was a listener of Random Encounter and Rhythm Encounter uh, before I joined RPG Fan in 2014. But uh, I know that uh, uh, Zach and Lucas, as well as some others on RPG Fan, like uh, Eva and uh, Geo, and a few of the new of the new hires, um, all were listeners of the podcasts before joining. And that blows my mind because I'm I'm amazed when I hear that the podcast has any listeners, let alone, um, <laughs> let alone uh, listeners sending me stained glass uh, um, artworks of Dragon Quest characters or uh, sending me their Avatar: The Last Airbender DVDs when I mentioned I hadn't seen it before. <laughs> oh wow! Both, both of both of which happened in uh in the last uh, in the last few years. <clears throat> um. So yeah, this podcast has been a big part of my life. I did wince a little bit when I heard, I think it was Mike and maybe Rob Fenner say, here's to 400 more. <laughs> I, don't <know> about, <laughs> I don't know about that, guys. <laughs> but, How much uh, gas is left in the tank? <laughs> don't, don't, don't make me answer that. But, there will uh, always be more games. We will, we will never run out of video games. I'm certain about that. We will never run out of good discussions to have or good RPGs to play. And I am honored and privileged to have... Um, been a part of this podcast for so many years and on 
probably something like at least 280 of those 400 episodes. I'd have to, I'd have to check the spreadsheets. But uh, uh, Alex, you're are you relatively new to podcasting? Have you? I mean, were you really? Uh, I, I don't think you were a listener before, but now you're on like like uh, t- like more than half of the episodes since you uh, started it <laughs> last year. Yeah, yeah, I, I was a casual listener before. Uh, I was like a an RPG fan fan. Um, but yeah, I've only been here for for a year now, and uh, I've just I've ended up on this show a lot more than I thought I would because uh, I have a lot of fun every time I come on, and it's been a great. Uh, way of tackling the backlog it's always fun to do so with other people and uh yeah i'm I'm sure i'll be on more and more in uh 2024 you're welcome like i mean podcasting's fun why do you think i'm on so many yeah (laughs) but yeah 400 episodes it's it's a hell of a milestone and i could not be more honored to do it uh with rpg fan and its wonderful staff including the four of you so thank you so much for your time and your and the opportunity Thank you for all the episodes. Yeah, for for real. And well, I, I this isn't the last episode of Retro Encounter, so I guess we do have to talk about the future. Um, <laughs> that we, uh, we are recording this episode in January, and uh, right now we are sandwiched between two episodes of Moon Remix RPG Adventure. Uh, Zach and Alex, I know both of you are on those episodes. Um, yeah, and but you, I don't think you've recorded uh, the second part yet. So uh, how is that? How is that so far? I have I haven't listened to all of them yet. I, I'm enjoying it. I, I think uh, maybe I respect it more than I love it so far. Uh, but there are so many things that it's doing that are just really amazing and really interesting for a 1997 game. Um, I could see why it didn't get localized, uh, but I, I, I'm really glad that I'm experiencing it. Yeah, there was definitely a, a bit of a learning curve going into this one. It's it's quite a unique game. Uh, as an anti-RPG, it really ends up being more of an adventure game than an RPG in a lot of ways. But uh, I love its subversions. Uh, the the uh, writing and, and, and the localization is, is fantastic. And uh, w- once I kind of got what was going on in terms of gameplay, I, I really started vibing with it and have had a good time. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing those episodes, but if you want to talk about a game that is not confusing and is definitely an RPG-ass RPG, um, the game we have planned for February is one of those. Um, Dragon Quest XI, Echoes of an Elusive Age, uh, I've said over and over on this podcast, it's probably my favorite game of the entire 2010s, and I still stand by that. I adore Dragon Quest XI, and I am in the early stages of replaying it right now uh, for the podcast in February, and I'm having a blast. It's uh, DQ11 still rules. One of the best RPGs ever. I, I could replay that game every year and still be happy. Uh, or at least I'm putting that to the test right now. I have only played it the one time on the PS4 um, when it came out in 2018. Um, or it came out in North America in 2018. Uh, but I'm replaying the S version on Switch right now. And I, I am having a delightful time. So it's probably going to be a very positively toned episode. But um, before those, we have a couple things planned for February. We're doing an episode on bad opinions that I hope doesn't upset too many people <laughs> that's still in the planning stage and we're doing a new draft episode um also it planned for early february but it's probably not a game or series that you're thinking of uh, i don't want to say what it is yet but we are doing a new rpg draft episode in um in a few weeks uh we haven't picked the game uh for march yet but i know that uh it we're doing dragon quest 11 because um in mid-February, the year of the dragon begins in the lunar calendar. And I think we're going to do another dragony RPG in March, but um, we're still in the process of picking it. So I can't confirm uh, what the March uh, uh, Retro Encounter game is, but we will let you know soon. 
Um, and but if you want to let us know anything, uh, whether it's uh, congrats on 400 episodes or thoughts on Moon or thoughts on Dragon Quest 11 or thoughts on why Illusion of Gaia wasn't able to make it this episode, um, the best way to do so is to message us, email retro at rpgfan.com. RPG Fan also has presences on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, YouTube, Twitch, Threads, uh, maybe Blue Sky, I'm not sure, maybe Mastodon, I'm even less sure. But um, any way that you can interact with RPG Fan, um, please do so, especially if it gives us positive feedback. Um, RPG Fan also has two other fine podcasts, Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness and what games we're playing, and Rhythm Encounter every other two weeks about RPG music. Um, you can uh, follow Retro, Random, and Rhythm Encounter on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Spotify or however you listen to podcasts. Google Play is now gone, technically, but I believe that any um, any podcasts that go uh, through Google's system are now automatically uploaded to YouTube. So it's very easy to find all of RPG fans' podcasts on YouTube now, which is um, a fairly recent change, I think right around New Year's, that we're very grateful for. So uh, please give us feedback or listen to our podcast however you choose. Let's see, what else is there? Oh yeah, um, RPG Fan has a has another great way to be supported through their shop. If you go to rpgfan.com slash shop, you can uh, buy RPG merchandise, including mugs and shirts and, and other apparel uh, through a T public store. Um, also, uh, there is an RPG Fan book that can, collects a, about 300 reviews into review cards in a beautiful paperback document that you can uh, um, buy through Hyperplay RPG. I have my copy, and it is spectacular. I uh, strongly suggest you got all, you all get copies of your own. Um, anyone here read the RPG fan book? I'm still waiting for mine to come, but I'm very excited. I got a pre-release copy, sort of, and so I really enjoy it. It's like so weird to see my name in print in that situation. So it's very, it's very cool. I, I did not get a pre-release copy. I think I ordered mine like the first day that you could get a normal release one. Um, uh, but it, it only arrived a few days ago. So, uh, so those book, if you've already ordered one, those books are coming. So I guess that's uh, enough ways to support RPG fan. Let's, uh, tell the listeners how they can support or contact us, the panelists as individuals. So we'll share, uh, whatever social media we are willing to share. Starting with you, Wes. You can find me on Twitter at Wes Iliff and on blue sky at lone weasel. Now, Alex, you can email me at Alex at gmail.com. Now, Lucas, uh, you can find me on all social media platforms at Rafegal, R-A-E-F-G-A-L-L. And if you like listening to me talk about games, uh, I upload a Let's Play every day on YouTube. Same name. Excellent. Now, Zach. Uh, you can email me, ZachW at RPGFan.com. You can also find me on our Discord as ZachW. And listeners, I have finally left the hell site known as Twitter, or at least I will have um, by the end of the month after posting this episode. Uh, you can find me on Blue Sky at e- or on Instagram, both as at Evoker for Dogs. So, uh, wow, 400 episodes. Um, thank you so much again. Uh, and listeners, panelists, other RPG fan staff, family, my wonderful girlfriend, thank you, good night, and good luck for everything.